stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners. Have you had a crappy day or a terribly boring night? Perhaps a bit of both. <laughs> Goodness, I hope not. <laughs> well, let me be the antidote to your poison, creepy guys and gals. Today I have a no sleep by the same author that brought you the crunched up paper house, which is episode 177. So check that one out if you get a chance. And the title of this story is The Rules of Being Cliché. And let me just say this one is very different. And our second story is a creepypasta titled The White by the author Lost White. That's one fitting story title with an author title like that, <laughs> don't you think? So grab your deliciously piping hot beverage, get comfy, and prepare for something different. The Rules of Being Cliché by Short Story 1 Number 1. The first rule of being cliché is living a cliché-filled type of life. Life is so full of clichés, don't you think? And especially with the type of stories and entertainment we get forced to watch and listen, as well as to drown our minds into death with. This story is also going to be one of those cliché types of stories where the obvious causal link ends with an obvious result. I mean, have you ever watched something so cliché and predictable that it made you look like some sort of psychic? I mean, I have. I want to first talk about a creature of some higher being called the Cliché Man. The Cliché Man always feeds off clichés, really, which I'm sure most of you could have guessed straight away. And I'm sure you've also realized that the cliché man gets stronger when it's in a clichéd environment. I had a pretty normal life with a wife and two children, and while I was the main breadwinner of the household, my wife took care of the kids and the house. Life was pretty good, in the normal good family sense of the word, and I also managed to take my family out on holidays, family days out to restaurants, and so on. So, we were a pretty cliched family to start off with, which attracted the cliché man in the first place, which I'm sure you lot could have predicted easily. Rule number two. The second rule of being cliché is weird things suddenly happening without much reason. In the first couple of weeks leading up to the cliché man invading my life, I started getting so many so-called psychics following me around everywhere and telling me my future and the future of my family. It was things like, my wife will start having an affair, and I must follow the rules of being cliché, and I would have to murder my wife with her lover. I thought they were crazy. But one day, whilst I was on break in the office, I got a phone call of my wife saying that she had an affair with another man in our own bedroom. I honestly didn't know what to think or feel about any of it, but my wife then said, you have got to follow the rules of being cliché and murder me and my lover. Rule number three. The third rule of being cliché is my marriage and what I have always known and loved going bad. 
Then I came home to find that my wife and her new lover were in our bed prepared to be killed by me. I wasn't even angry or furious, just highly confused and freaked out. There was a knife outside our bedroom door, and I saw both my wife and her lover just smiling at me, waiting to be killed by me. Because that's what usually happens when a husband finds his wife with another man in their own bedroom. Look you two, I don't know what the rules of being cliché are, but I'm going back to work. And after telling my wife and her lover, both of them looked so disappointed and angry with me for disobeying the rules of being cliché, made by the cliché man. Daddy, you must follow the rules of being cliché because if you don't, then the cliché man will be angry. My two sons told me, and I didn't notice before they were both behind me. Rule number four. The fourth rule of being cliché is some weird paranormal ability being performed on you to force you to do something against your will. Because out of nowhere, my mind swapped with my wife's mind, and I was in her body and she was in mine. My wife then threatened me while in my body that if I don't follow the rules of being cliché, then she will take over my body forever. After killing her body with my mind inside it, I desperately decided that I will murder her and her lover if my mind could go back into my body, and it did. Obviously, I'm sure you lot have guessed by now that my family's minds had been taken over by the cliché man. How predictable, right? As I was back in my own body, I ran over to my wife and stabbed her to death, and then I murdered her lover. My two sons ran over to me and hugged me and shouted for joy. Well done, father. The cliché man will be so pleased you followed the rules of being cliché and predictable. Rule number five. The fifth rule of being cliché is having your close ones affected by a tragic incident. The ages of my sons are 13 and 15, and the obvious next phase of my two sons seeing me murder their mother is that they go goddamn crazy and start acting out. I put the bodies of my wife and her lover down in the cellar, where we keep a large freezer which could fit both their bodies. That year, my two sons started behaving badly and getting into trouble, and whenever I question them about it, my sons reply with, It's the rules of being cliché. Youngsters like us who have witnessed something terrible go crazy and start acting out because we have something bottled up. My sons would tell me. Then I heard my wife calling me from downstairs into the cellar from the freezer. Stan, you should understand the rules of being cliché by now. My dead wife's body would shout out from the cellar freezer and I would shake in fear. Yes, honey, I reply shakily. Rule number six. The sixth rule of being cliché is always having something outside, hearing something or seeing something and knowing something. Now, in these sorts of situations, there is always, predictably, some sort of friend, colleague or family member who notices something strange or saw something and heard something. Guess what? That is exactly what happened when my next door neighbor came over to meet me. Without any friendliness or anything to break the ice, they instantly start talking about the rules of being cliché and what their role is going to be. They were the ones to go to the police to report to them about me and the disappearance of my wife. 
Then this is where I eventually get arrested, and my two sons go into care and get mental health treatment. I was against everything and didn't want to be part of this cliché or follow any stupid rules belonging to this cliché. Rule number seven. The seventh rule of being cliché is eventually being stuck in some horrible situation which you cannot escape and cannot break out of. My mind was swapped with my dead wife's body, and it was so cold and empty. I couldn't even shiver, cry or shout for help. I could hear my wife in my body and enjoying herself being warm and being able to move around again. She came down while inside my body, and she basically said to me, The cliché man will let you back in your body if you promise to follow the rules of being cliché. And I desperately and cowardly agreed. And how cliché of me that is. I am back in my body and my next door neighbours have gone to the police. And I have hugged and kissed my boys goodbye forever. I am so sorry if this story has been so cliché and predictable. And now, for our next story, The White. My grandmother would always tell me ghost stories when I was a young boy. She would tell me why I would always wake up at 3am with a heavy weight on my chest, or why I would hear the walls creak in the winter. Now that I'm older, I know that these stories of hers could be explained with things like sleep paralysis or the heat coming on in to an old house. But there was one story she told me that I have yet to debunk. Never wander off alone on a cold winter night, she would say. To anyone with half a brain, this should already be obvious for many different reasons, none of which are supernatural. However, when she continued with her cautionary tale, the consequences were not what you might have expected. For if you stray away from your family and friends, you will fall victim to the snow and he will find you. Who? I asked in a shaky voice. He who breathes tainted life into what has long since perished. The necromancer who lives beneath the ice. What will he do? What he does is unspeakably horrific, she said, her mouth twisting up into a sinister grin. When he finds you, wandering alone in his domain, he will pierce your heart with his cold, icy claws. But the nightmare does not end here. After you are dead, he will bring you back as his undead slave, a cold, mindless zombie, a white. This is typically where my parents would step in and tell my grandmother she was scaring me. She would continue with these stories up until the day she died, but never did admit to any of them being fiction. When I got older, my grandmother's stories began to fade into the back of my mind. In truth, I never really thought about them at all, until recently. I was a junior in college, and lived with my girlfriend at the time, Jessica, in a small apartment in northern Massachusetts. During winter break, we decided to go on a ski trip together. 
Nothing fancy, just a weekend trip. As we were packing the last of our gear into my car, my girlfriend hesitated for a moment. Is、uh, everything okay? I asked, thinking that maybe she was having second thoughts. Yeah, I'm fine, she said. It's just someone said something really weird to me in the class the other day, and it's just been bugging me. I turned to her after making sure the last of our belongings were safely in the trunk. Can you tell me what? I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. She looked up. They told me that those mountains are haunted by a girl that died there a couple of years ago. It took me a moment to think about what she said. It was true that a young girl did go missing a few years back, and one of her friends was later found dead. But I had never heard of any ghost stories involving the incident or those mountains. <laughs> Don't let them scare you. I said with a smile, "They probably just want some attention." She looked at me, reassured, and gave me a kiss. I guess you're right. After all, I have you to protect me. With that, I gave her a hug, and we were on our way. We reached our destination after a couple of hours. It had begun to snow, but nothing that would hinder our ability to ski. After a quick launch, we headed out to complete our first run of the day. When we got to the top of the ski lift, we made our way to a trail marked with the green square. Ready to go? I asked, readjusting my goggles. Lead the way, Jessica replied. Just stop halfway down in case I fall behind. The trail wasn't challenging at all, but I figured we might have wanted to start off easy. After all. Neither of us had skied in over two years, so I was convinced we'd be rusty. It was just like riding a bike. After I got the hang of it again, I was finding every little bump I could to jump off. Since it was a beginner trail, though, they were hard to find. I slid to a stop at the halfway point. Jessica was nowhere in sight. I knew she was a strong skier, so I wasn't really worried about her falling. Or getting hurt on such an easy run. Ten minutes passed, no Jessica. Twenty minutes passed, still, no Jessica. After half an hour of waiting, I knew something was seriously wrong. I took my skis off and walked up the mountain. There was no sign of her at all. Nobody even looked concerned, like they might have if they saw her crash. It was almost as if she just vanished. With no luck. I put my skis back on and returned to the launch. I told staff what happened, but even after hours of searching, even they couldn't find her. I felt like I was living in a bad dream. This was the kind of thing that happened in movies, but never in real life. Before it got too dark, I decided to try my luck and searched by the woods near the launch. Jessica, I yelled. Jessica, where are you? No answer. I was blinded by my determination, and before I knew it, I was so deep into the snow and trees that I had no idea how to get back. It started to get dark. I was scared, not only for what might have happened to my girlfriend, but for myself. I was lost in the woods at night during the winter. I was an adult and was taught to believe in logic, but for some reason, I couldn't get my dead grandmother's voice out of my head. Never wander off alone on a cold winter night. 
For if you stray away from your family and friends, you will fall victim to the snow and he will find you. I felt like I was going insane. Why was I so scared of this made-up creature? More than something that made sense, like lack of food or a wild animal. All of a sudden, I heard a soft voice that brought me back to reality. I'm cold, it said. For a second, I thought maybe it was Jessica. Jessica, is that you? I should have ran. I should have got out of those woods as soon as I felt the fear manifest inside my chest. I'm cold, the voice repeated, only this time it was louder. It wasn't Jessica. The voice sounded ethereal. I felt like a small animal trapped in a cage just waiting for my inevitable demise. It was then that I locked eyes with a young girl. For a moment, time stood still and the world seemed to go quiet. The girl was wearing a long coat and what looked like a beret. Her hair was short and blended in with the snow. What shook me to my core though were her eyes. They were nothing but black sockets with glowing blue orbs in the middle. If it wasn't for the eerie blue light they emitted, I would have never seen the body crumpled in a heap in front of her. It was Jessica. Jessica? Jessica? I choked and fell backwards onto a nearby tree trunk. My whole body was numb. I truly felt as though this was the end. But the girl never moved. She just stood there above Jessica's body. Those horrible blue lights not once taking their gaze off me. I stumbled, regaining a feeling in my legs and started running. I had no idea where I was or if I would get out alive. Eventually, by some miracle, I made it out of those woods to the lodge. I told the police what I saw that night. Well, some of what I saw anyways. I left out the part about the girl. They found Jessica's body, but never released a report of what caused her death. I took a semester off after the incident. My professors were understanding and told me to take care of myself. It's been a year since all of this happened. I'm doing well in school and even managed to land a part-time job in the cafe by my apartment. People think I'm crazy when I tell them what I truly believe is lurking in those mountains and, frankly, I don't blame them. So, for the fun of it, I'll tell you my theory. That girl who went missing was the one I saw that night, standing over Jessica's body. She fell victim to the snow, and he found her. He who breathes tainted life into what was long since perished. The necromancer who lives beneath the ice. What he did was unspeakably horrific. When he found her wandering alone in his domain, he pierced her heart with his cold icy claws. But the nightmare did not end there. After she died, he brought her back as his undead slave. A cold, mindless zombie. A white. All credit of this story goes to Lost White. Lost White also has a DeviantArt page as well as a Patreon page. So if you really love her work, support her. So a big thank you to our authors and 
As always, if you do want to support the podcast, by all means hop onto iTunes and give the podcast a review. The best way and the easiest way to do this is to hop onto my iTunes link, which I've got in the episode notes, click on my logo in iTunes, and bam, there you are, ready to leave a rating. And as I've mentioned before, I know there's a couple of hoops when leaving ratings, so I really, really appreciate it. And before I sign off, once again, a huge thank you to Short Story 1 and Lost White for both of these awesome stories. Have a fantastic day, or creepy night, and join me tomorrow for some fan stories. Oh yes, I can't wait. And as always, till next time.